Hello, Legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today we're catching up with Cub member and my good friend, Gareth Cross. Gareth, along with his family, own Cross, a national office furniture business that is both iconic and historic since it started in the 1930s. Me and Gareth had a great conversation talking about being involved in a family business and, and how to make that work, focusing on your market and building your business around serving your specific market best, and the importance of constant improvement, a business that's been around since the 1930s has constantly evolved and Gareth shares those stories with us and his always have your back against the wall attitude. It was a brilliant conversation and a very unique perspective. Enjoy the show. I'm joined today by my good friend and cub member, Mr. Gareth Cross. Welcome to the show, my man. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. I, just in the spirit of highlighting the members that are helping me with the new clubhouse, I had uh, Hussain on on the, the show last week, I think it was. Um, obviously, he's building the clubhouse. So I was like, shit, I've got to get Gareth in here because the, this guy's furnishing the place. Thank you very much for thinking of us and for using us for the, the clubhouse. And I'm excited to see the... Uh the final result. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's going to be sick because it's full of cross furniture. So, you know, the fur- <laughs> at least, you know, the furniture stuff's going to be good. But um, but one, I was really excited to speak to you on, on the podcast because you bring such a, a different perspective to, to, to many uh, other members just based on the pure fact that your business is a family business, which, uh, which started in the 30s. So you know, obviously you're not the founder. In fact, I laughed because I read your prep sheet and it goes, it says, um, why did you start your business? And your response was, I didn't. It started in the thirties, but my great, great grandfather. No, no. Well, that's, that's often my answer. I say when they're like, oh, you look so young. I said, no, no. Well, I started the company in Australia when I was two. Yeah. <laughs> and well, so I, I want to hear from that perspective, but, but why don't you give a quick introduction across and kind of what you guys specialize in, because also it's Australian manufactured mm-hmm. stuff. And so give us a bit of an introduction across. You are one of the, I guess, uh, biggest, most well-known furniture brand, uh, commercial, uh, office furniture brands in, in the country. So give us a bit of an introduction, then I want to hear about the story. Thank you. Thank you for the intro. Um, yeah, so we mainly specialize in commercial office furniture. In the 30s, that wasn't the case. We were making a lot of steel furniture, uh, making stuff for the military in South Africa, had contracts with Coca-Cola making cooler boxes, and then going full 360. They're a corporate client now, so it's very cool to have clients that we've had since the very beginning. So started in South Africa in the 1930s. Um, the business started here in 1989. So 30, 32, nearly 33 years. We sort of started out just as a retailer of furniture in Australia. Um, we didn't have the capacity to manufacture anything, to import anything. So we we're really buying from, from other people. And then over the years, as we got more exposure, started designing our own ranges, importing our own ranges. And then eventually 10 years ago, we started manufacturing our own ranges. So it's really made us a fully horizontally and integrated um, solution. And, you know, it's helped us with foundation to grow. So just over time, you you just took more and more ownership, I guess, over the process of providing good quality office furniture, because 
it sounds like, you know, at one point you weren't even designing it. You were just kind of importing other people's products and designs. And then you started designing and getting manufactured and then you brought it all in and started manufacturing it yourself. And yeah, I'd love to hear um, the story. of. So it started in the 30s. It, obviously your family must have migrated to Australia. Uh, first they were in Lithuania, then they immigrated to South Africa. Yep. And then in the mid-80s our family started coming to Australia and started we leaving South Africa. Leaving South Africa with the issues going on there and started from scratch. So what I always find quite amazing is my dad was 34 years old, so I'm I'm still 3 years away from that and he had a prominent business, very established, family name, well-known name. Um the factory area where our original manufacturing plant was, it's still called Cross Park because the entire area was in it, South Africa. In South Africa, in Johannesburg. Um, I've got some photos all over my showroom of the old facility. I, I wish I had that size land uh, here. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it had a petrol station in it and it's been separated subsequently since then. It's there's about 45 companies there now. So at one point in time, that was just cross-manufacturing. So your family had to leave that kind of behind um, to move to, I guess, a, a – lack of a better word, like a safer country probably. 100% a safer country. Yeah, um, a safer country and, and had to basically start anew. Yeah, I've, I constantly say that to my dad and he says, you know, I was, I was scared to leave but way, way, way scared to stay and he's like, and I, and I, I say I applaud you and you know, I thank him every day for, you know, the, what he gave myself and my brother and the foundations that him and my uncle gave us when they started up here again. Um, but I just think about it like myself now, I already feel like I'm, I'm like slowly getting more in control of my life and, laying things out and he, you know, already had a few kids, three kids, house, factory, manufacturing, everything there, everything was, the foundation was there. And then it was like, okay, let's go start from zero again. Yeah. It's kind of weird that, isn't it? Because it's like, we've gotten like uh, our generation is just, mate, I don't know if we're slower at life or we're just not as good at it. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> the past generations by, by 30, you know, you're married, you had kids, you're, you know, you're really set in your ways. You, you, you now we're like, I'm 30, shit, you can't tie my shoelace. You know, yeah, like- I better get health insurance I now bet, or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's really weird that. And it's getting older because even probably like, you know, I think about like my grandparent, like you, you, my grandmother, she probably had kids at 20, she, she probably had four kids at, at 21. And you know, like, it's so weird, like how it's getting later. And like, my kid might have a kid at 50, who knows, but- but um, don't get back on topic. But um, <laughs> but and so, how did your great grandfather? I don't know if you know this story to be honest. But do you know why he started manufacturing things? And then from that point, do you know how it became furniture? I understand how long ago that is. So I'm not this, this is this is very long, and it's it's my understandings of it. And it wasn't always office furniture. Office furniture started in the fifties. But I think how I've been explained it is in those days, finding something you could do, like being being marginalized and, and needing a trade, being useful, finding things to make that people wanted. And that basically by necessity and, and weirdly during like uh, war periods, they needed jerry cans. So getting contracts for that. Banks always needed desk sets and stuff. So getting contracts with banking companies and things like that. So it wasn't purely focused on just providing office furniture solutions. It was focused on providing anything, any solution. And by being marginalized, what do you mean? I guess coming from war-torn countries, people needing to flee Lithuania, coming to South Africa as immigrants. Um, being Jewish in South Africa. Yeah, being Jewish yeah. in South Africa, you, you 
although there was the dominating class there, the white people, all of those sort of things, you were still a foreigner and you yeah. still had to make yourself useful. And I think that's that's and that's what pretty, they did. pretty common theme, I think, with Jewish people moving around the world is they had to find, be resourceful. Find a way to provide value, Correct. provide yeah. things people need. I definitely think so. Yeah, that's, a re- that's really interesting. You know, all, I guess, even immigration and, and, and mig- new migrants to countries, it's, it's, I guess, always harder. Well, it's always harder for a migrant to get a job and so they end up becoming more entrepreneurial. There's a lot of, like, a lot of countries of migration, big, like, lots of migrants are often the most entrepreneurial countries. And then they often just need to provide the th- things that are just extremely valuable at that point in time. That's a really cool story. And then so it just developed. Yeah, or just make themselves valuable. And I think that's true. You see those themes so many across so many industries, across so many countries with immigrants. You're 100% right. Like foundationally, even in Australia, started from scratch. I think, you know, and my uncle and my dad said to me, they, we had one option. It was back against the wall. We had one thing we knew how to do and we had to make it work. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's cool to hear stories now of people saying, oh, there's people who've been in the industry for 40 years. What You've got no place opening. There's so many furniture companies already. Those people aren't in business anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> and, but you know what? That, that's interesting because um, and, and, and this is both of it. We're in the same position. As you said, you, you, you know, you, you, your uncle and your dad, they had no option but to succeed. They had to, they, they, they really had to or they had nothing. And that was the same position my parents were in. But then um, I guess our generation, it's almost a different struggle. You know, it's because it's not I need to do something. It's, it's, it's I, you, you have to have that will to do it. It's like I want to do this. And you have different set of, um, problems and challenges. Like, do you know, do you have, how could you speak on that? Yeah, look, I, I what think, are your challenges? I think especially joining a, a family business, you, you, you don't want to be, especially a, a legacy business, a, a name, you don't want to be the generation that, that stuffs everything <laughs> that up. To put it it to, yeah, correct. <laughs> that goes and fucks everything up. You want, you want it to be the one that, you know, you're the steward of it. You take it to the next level and you feel responsible for it. You know, I've always said to people, and, and the advice I give on, on family businesses is you've got to live what you do. You can't, it can't be forced. And, you know, I've seen, and I've had even, even in the club, I've had some people saying when I've, I've given some of this during core groups and things like that, when I talk about my relationship with my brother and my relationship with my dad and how harmonious it is. And they're like, that's so fantastic. Can you give me some advice? And yeah, I can, I can share why I think it works for us. But I think, unfortunately, in some family businesses, if there's issues, it's very hard to nut them out sometimes. One key point I always say is if the different elements, especially siblings, family members, anybody, if you do not value each other's contribution, it's never going to work. Because there'll always be one party thinking, I'm carrying that person, I'm doing this, I'm the leading person, me, 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 me. Myself and my brother are the biggest polar opposites. We couldn't have more different core competencies. Our brains work totally differently. We don't agree all the time, which I think is a good thing, but we 100% value each other's contribution and value each other's position in the business. And I think that's what's made us um, be successful till now, kept our relationship strong. And I think what will be the foundation for our business in the future, I think is a really important thing. I kind of like that concept you brought up of like you know, the business is something that passes through the family and therefore, but, but it, it more, it's kind of under the care of 
different mm. generations. It's kind of like a child that never grows up and just keeps getting passed to the next, the next generation of 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 adults in, within the family you know? and you have to look after the child. You have to, you know, you have to take care of it, train it, make sure it can live in the current environment, make sure the child's set up for the future. You know, it's just an interesting way to think of a business like that. The business is kind of the child of the family and you've got to, you can't, you, know, you can't let this child uh, go, you know, that you have to take care of it and you've got that extra responsibility of, you know, like for example, I could screw cub up right now and about six years yeah, okay, well, it sucked for me, but yeah, I haven't let anyone down. People probably be pretty proud that I got six years anyway. But, you know, in a, in a family business, it's like, oh, man, we almost have 100 years, you know, like do not screw that up. Like is that a lot of pressure? Do you feel that or are you like, no, we, like it's – I think there's always pressure, but I think um, pressure is healthy and you, and you need to have it. If, if you're not feeling a bit of pressure sometimes, you're not going to have motivation and you're not going to have motivation to do better and, and you hit the nail on the head down. It's not, you know – you and I were lucky in that we joined the business at a certain time. And, and I'm the first to say like, you know, people, you know, try and pat us on the back and say, Oh, you guys have done really well. You're do, doing this. I said, you know, getting from zero to something's a lot harder than when there's something done already. And then you've got to go to the next level because there's resources, there's mm. money, there's, there's things to do and to move forward. When you're starting from zero, it's a hell of a lot harder too. It's much harder. And I've always thought to myself, like, could I have done what my dad did like I don't know if I have that it takes serious to get from zero to something to something Hmm. that that's takes us and to start with nothing no people around you know like that's a special type of person and I don't know if if uh, I'm that type of person I don't know if you you just don't know because you're not there you haven't experienced it but that those the the kind of the founding people of a family you know the founding people of a of, of, of a a business type of, you know, of wealth or whatever you, whatever it may be, that that's a very, that all, all businesses and all families at one point had nothing. There was someone along the way at some point that said, I want more. Yep. I'm going to do this and, and, and sacrificed most of their life in order to get to step one for the rest, you know, and it's, and you just got to like, you have to honor that person and, and, and the people that then pass it on and pass it on because, you know, they ha- you have to be grateful for what you've been given in life. And that's always been a lot of my drive, just gratitude. Like, God, I've, got, I've been given every opportunity. I need to make sure that I take all of them. Uh, like I've always said, you, you know, you can be taken to the waterhole, but no one can make you, no one can make you drink. And, and, and that's it. And, and also it's, it's adopting that back against the wall mentality. And, and that's what I've always tried to think is every year, think how can I be a little bit better? How can I be 5% better? How can we improve on that? Never get that mentality of, done it, made it good. Let's go. Business is there. We're prominent. We're the leaders. Now let's coast. I think once you get to that level, you start thinking in those sort of ways. Uh, yeah. I, I think, I think you're ruining your shelf life as a company. I agree. I love that. Adopt the back, uh, the back against the wall mentality. Always, always be acting um, as if you need to fight to win, you know? hundred percent. And you know, my dad's been really good to, to my brother and myself, but you know, his favorite thing, I'd, I'd run into his office. I'd, I'd say, I won this contract. He'd pat me on the back. He'd say, well done. Now go do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My dad used to say, so a good month. Okay. It's great, but it means nothing. It needs to be cons- consistency in sales is, is what's important. Not just having one good sale, one good month. It's consistency Correct. that, that, that yeah. makes it work. And, and same deal for bad months. He goes, guys, it's a law of averages. 
pull your head up. You know, it's not, it's not the, it's not the first bad month we've ever had and it's not going to be the last one. So, you yeah. know, pull your head up, get in there. If it's, see, that's really interesting because it's something that like time and experience give you, you know, it's knowing that mm, bad things happen, but that's normal. And the business has gone through that for particularly businesses like, like yours that we've been through decades of, of, things there's been good there's been bad hey, the business is still here the business is still stronger than ever like it's just part of the life it's like life it's goods and bads in life you just got to keep you got to keep getting better 100 percent. and you you mentioned working with your brother um and one thing i kind of felt like that was the most important thing you said there because because you know that that is you know you and your brother coming into the business uh, eventually you guys will be having to have the full responsibility and weight of it and then passing it on again you know, that working with family, like you said, can often be difficult, but it sounds like what you guys have done is perhaps you understand. So you, you've got this common child in the business that you have to, you know, groom and protect, but you both have very specific purposes and roles in towards doing so. Is that, is that how it is or does it overlap? A hundred percent. Look, everything overlaps because you need to, you need to lean on each other and confide in each other and, I always struggle to think like, how would I, how would I function at work without my brother? And I think to some degree feels the same as well. It, it's a common goal. I think understanding you both have a common goal. You're both there to do the thing while you must be doing different things in your day. And that's why I said it's about value and understanding and understanding other people's contribution. I don't know what he's doing half the time. He doesn't know what I'm doing half the time, but I think that's, that trust is really important and knowing that. And you, you both know you're both committed. You're both doing something for it. We're both output focused and... Proof is in the pudding. You know what I love about your website? I suggest everyone listening uh, goes to the Crossed website. Um, it's Crossed with a K. It'll be on the it'll be on the cab.club forward slash podcast uh, website page. You can go to the link. But my when I was first like when we first started talking about uh, us getting the the new clubhouse, um, I was obsessed with like designing it and making it the new brand <laughs> and it looks mad. And anyway. That's the first time I went onto your website. I, I went through the website maybe like every day for a week, just looking at the, mostly just looking at the different furniture. And, but one, the one thing, and I still haven't forgotten, I know I've told you this, I probably told you, said it to you about six months ago, but the one thing, um, and I better not butcher it now that I'm about to say it, but the one thing that I, I remember, and I think it, it, that's the reason why I think everyone should go check out your website, is that almost the first thing it says, from what I can remember, or the first thing on the page, it says, and this is, what do you call it when you don't quote exactly? Paraphrase. Paraphrasing. We've been making furniture since the 19, since the 30s and we've done that by focusing on three things, providing the best service possible, um, uh, the best, uh, the, the highest quality of products and uh, at a fair price. It doesn't say an expensive price, doesn't say a cheap price, it says fair. And I, I, I remember those three things and I like it and the thirties. So it's like social proof that, okay, there's a bit of social proof and these are the things that we believe in. This is what we're going to provide. I remember after reading that, I was like, I'm never going to forget that. And I still haven't. I, I hope those are the three things. I was, I was, I was, was, I, was it, yeah. I was waiting to jump in. If yeah. you got stuck. Very, very impressive. <laughs> I remember that. that. And that I would have looked at that maybe in January or mm, February. Six months ago, at least. And, longer. And the 1930s thing I remembered from your prep sheet, but but the three things were were from six months, and and that's why everyone should look at that website because you really got, I don't know I just felt like I understood the company and you had your timeline with stories and I just think it's definitely a good website for people to go um, have a look at. And what would what about those philosophies? Those three things are, are they something that 
you all use and know? Is it something that's kind of spoken about within the family or is it, do they dictate and how do you guys use those three things? That's, that's one of our oldest sort of company mantras, things that we've had in our catalogs. Uh, definitely before my time, um, probably from my grandfather's time as well. Um, we've, we've always adjusted that over the years though. We've always adjusted our positioning statement and things like that. So, um, it is currently now high quality, competitively priced commercial furniture solutions in the quickest possible lead time. Okay. Um, it used to be high quality office furniture solutions in three weeks or less. Wow. But see, that's really cool because you can see how businesses, they're not fixed. They're not stagnant. It's like we we're saying, it's like, well, our job is to push the business for another 50 years and then pass it on again. And so you need to look at the next 50 years and understand the environment and be like, how are we winning in this 50 years based on our strengths and, and our capabilities, what we have at our, you know, in our war chest, how are we going to win? And so obviously that's you guys um, adapting to that. And also like the fact that you, like if everybody knows in Australia, fur, like buying furniture, typically, particularly like home furniture sucks. You wait 12 <laughs> to 15, 16 weeks. It comes from Italy or wherever it comes from. Then it arrives. It's the wrong color. And you're like, oh, okay, so now do I just wait another 12 to 16 weeks for the right color? Or do I have to pay to get this thing refabricated or whatever that's called where they put the fabric on it? I hate it. I've been through it many, many, many a times. And one thing I found, one thing I loved, particularly like with you guys when we were ordering all the, and I mean, we ordered a lot of furniture obviously for the, for the clubhouses, was that, well, okay, what's being made in Australia? I don't have to worry about that. It's just kind of like, well, it's being made here. I don't give a fuck what happens in Italy or, or in, in Germany or China. <laughs> Screw those guys. Like it's made here. Like I'm comfortable that it's going to be there on time. And, and I'm also comfortable that if it's not for whatever reason, who knows, there might be an earthquake, <laughs> literally. <laughs> you know, but we it, hope not. Yeah, but if there is, well, at least we can get in contact with the people very easily and be like, go to their office, be like, hey, you know, what's going on? Oh, there's an earthquake, you know? So, like, I loved that fact about uh, about Cross. Then, and was that, I guess, how important was the bringing in the manufacturing yourselves? Well, some, so co commodified product, you, you still have to manufacture overseas in various different markets. So China, Taiwan, Europe. Mm -hmm. But the, the big difference with us is we hold huge, huge, huge amounts of stock of any commodified product. We hold six to 12 months of commodity stock of any range. And then, as you said, 10 years ago, we decided to pivot and invest heavily in Australian manufacturing as well. So starting just by literally making desktops and that's developed into cabinetry, reception counters, joinery, upholstery, ottomans, couches, and wasn't the core intention, but it's certainly been a really, really, really good plug during COVID because one of the questions that some of the tender interviews was, how, what percentage of your product is Australian made? And they would just dismiss you if you didn't have an answer to that. And see, that's really cool again, because it shows, okay, 10 years ago, we started making tabletops, but now we're making all of that. It just, and that's 10 years to, that, that's, it just shows businesses like me that things take time. Do you know what I mean? Like imagine Cub in 10 years, what it's going to be producing. I don't know, you know, what, what it's going to be like. It's just, time. It, business is time. Just survive the time and keep 
you're gonna have these big, massive Soho house style Whatever pool clubs. Got, and yeah, if I get my bar. way with it, it will yeah, be. Yeah, yeah, well, that's yeah. I, know, I know. I mean, I mean yeah. you have the same vision for it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, like, time is just such a factor, and and I reckon many business owners just need to have the patience to know that. Okay, well, I'm strapped in, and I'm strapped in for the long run, and you know, time is going to be my time is my friend. You know, like it's going to, and see, that's so weird though, because you guys obviously made that move, not knowing COVID was coming. And, and so why was it made? What was the need to do it if COVID wasn't there? Um, the interior design and D market architects, designers, builders, um, the Australian market was, was moving very differently to say Europe and, and America where you'll go to some, even, even really high end manufacturers. And they're like, you can, you can have three sizes and three colors. Australia, it's, you can have 500 colors and 5,000 sizes. Are you saying that the market in Australia was different? The market was asking for Yeah, that. asking yeah. for more, like more customization. Um, and we, you could always do that overseas. But then you mentioned residential furniture, Dan. Use the club as an example. You're opening for an event on the 22nd. You're, you're not going to be accepting of it. If I say, oh, sorry, Dan, I missed the container. It's going to be another 10 weeks. You'll say, see ya. Correct. And I'll let everyone on the podcast know yeah, too. Yeah, correct. <laughs> and, and that's my point is, you know, if someone's opening a call center or a, a legal firm or a real estate agent and they're opening that Monday, the furniture's in by that Monday. It's not it's not up for negotiation. So, and also the, the market's changed here in, in, in lead times as well. At, at some point in time, six weeks was considered, wow, that they can make made-to-order furniture in six weeks. 15 years ago, 20 years ago, we maybe couldn't have because we were at the mercy of, oh, we'd have to go to our wholesaler. Do you have legs in stock? We'd have to go to our joiner and they'd and we'd say, oh, can you make me 300 white tops by next Friday? And they would have said, no, six-week lead time. Now, if, after this, I can pick my phone. I say, I need 200 tops by Friday morning. It's done. Yeah, it's it's just it's just so much better. And, and you know what's cool about that? You guys said, well, we, we service the Australian market. We need to create – we need to structure our business around that market. We can't structure it in a way that services the European market. Like, cause that's really what a lot of furniture companies do. The business, the product and the model literally are designed to serve Europeans yep. or Americans or whoever they're, wherever they're from. But the difference is if you're getting a couch from uh, London to Germany. It's a lot easier than getting it from here. You know, it's, it's yeah, but that's what I'm saying. The Europeans, it's the actual businesses are designed for Europeans and then they get sent halfway across the world to Australia. Whereas <laughs> your business, you guys obviously are very Australia centric in terms of, well, we serve Australians. We need to make sure this works for Australians. And any business can do that. It's about serving your market as best as possible for them. Yeah. 100%. And you know, you want to you want to support local industry. You want to keep jobs here. You want things to be still made here. And furniture was one of those industries that really, really, really got subbed out for throwaway landfill garbage. What you do know, you mean by that? You know, just really cheap import product that flooded the market. And uh, you know, at one time in, in in history, there was a hell of a lot more furniture being made in Australia, but not, not so much anymore. So, because it all all the jobs went it went I overseas. Mean, we, the manufacturing. We, we, one hundred percent have one of the biggest manufacturing plants in in Sydney now, and, but yeah, definitely Australia as well. But I think it's just helped us with our positioning and and uh, the way the market views you as well. Yeah, and also I, I think what's cool about what you guys do, like what I found, like when you renovate or when you refurnish your house, it's fun. Like you know, like furniture's fun because you're choosing my couch, I'm choosing this, I'm choosing that. It's the same with the office. It's almost even more fun with the office, you know, because you got, everyone else is involved. The, the team's involved. Everyone's excited about what it's going to look like. Your clients might be involved. 
And that's one thing that I found really cool about the experience you're going through, you guys, is that, uh, and I don't mean to toot your horns or anything like that, but but more so just like the concept of buying furniture was is, was really fun. Like I got to go to the showroom, I got to see what there is, I got to see the different tops I could have. And like, it's like mad, my boardroom's going to be awesome, you know, and and I, I just think the concept of making it like it was an experience and you know, the, the, the lesson there for business is you, you can make your service an experience. Yeah. Can I say, I, I always feel like I love painting the picture for the clients. Sometimes they come with an empty canvas. Sometimes they have no canvas. They have absolutely no idea. They've never done furniture before. I don't even feel like it's sales. I really don't. I'm, I'm providing a solution. And, and like you, you knew you needed clubhouse furniture you knew you needed a solution you needed a platform you needed a place to and an environment and that's the best that's the most gratifying part like I, I love um you know having that initial meeting with a client or or with anybody with a designer and then seeing that final result and, and sitting around that boardroom table and exactly as you said and yeah it is fun like um i wouldn't recommend getting into the commercial space especially furniture if you don't enjoy what you do you're not passionate about i think that's the same with anything but what do you love most about what you do? What do you love most about Crossed? It really is that. It's um, creating environments for people. I, I, I really, really do. I, I feel like it's not hard selling because it's a product that people need. It's not discretionary. They're not, they're not walking into my showroom. Um, you know, they're not walking around Harvey Norman, Bondi Junction on a, on a Saturday night burning an hour before their movie, maybe looking at that Xbox or TV they're going to buy. And I say it to all my guys, if, if someone's coming in here, you're, you're needing to get them from A to B. It's yeah. that, They've got a problem. You need to provide them the, solution, the solution and make it a fun experience. Exactly. Uh, so. Enjoyable. Uh, how would you describe it? Enjoyable, fun, and, efficient. And, and it is a fun experience because of the degrees of customization and things like that. It's not cookie cutter. It's not you walk into Officeworks um, and you pick up a box and you take it out and you put the chair together at home. It's the sum of all parts. It's creating settings. It's the chairs in tandem with the tables, the colors, how everything works in. Even you saw the other day on site, those discussions, discussing with the designer, seeing how everything works together. And just for the listener, so uh, uh, on Saturday, uh, we we needed to have a final walkthrough of the clubhouse just to make sure, you know, the, the fit out was correct. The furniture coming was 100% correct. And and we actually did make some small edits because mm. we could say, oh, yeah, this room, would this would work better here. And and it is fun because you get to see, you, you got to see the plans of the space. Then you got to see the space in person that's, you know, it's not fully fitted yet and has no furniture. And then you're going to see the space fully done, you know, before everyone else. And, and that would be, I can imagine for you being like, wow, like, we made this space look really amazing for the, for 100%. all the people that, you know, the hundreds of people that are going to be using it uh, regularly. Final stage is we sit around the boardroom table and pop a beer. hundred percent. Look over our nice view of George Street. Well, that's my, yeah. You got it. You got to test that the table works. Yeah. It's like the, what's that? Um, when they finish building a top out party, when they finish building developments and they have a beer they, on, on the roof, they get all the trades barbecue. to come and yeah, barbecue. And it's the same thing. Exactly, exactly. You should make that a tradition, in fact. I most definitely do a lot. That's do my you? <laughs> It is a tradition. Oh, of course. After, after, and a lot of the time, as a lot of our clients are repeat customers, you know, dealing with builders, designers, architects a lot of the time. So you're always trying to catch up with people. Well, I'll give you keep I'll the give, rapport. I'll give you a, um, a, a hint. We might have a surprise clubhouse coming that uh, no one knows about yet very soon. So 
I might be giving you a call very, sooner than you could even imagine. Wow. That's how soon. So it's a surprise clubhouse. Can I, I, can, I, can I get a bit of a hint in, in what state it's in? It's in a state that you provide furniture for. <laughs> <laughs> so you mean nationally? Okay, yeah, that's yeah. great. So it could, it could be in New it's Zealand It's in Australia. <laughs> yeah. No, it's not New Zealand. <laughs> but um, but uh, anyway, it's not even 100% yet. I don't even know why I mentioned it. I've got a big mouth. But there could be, I said, a surprise clubhouse coming. Laura's <laughs> looking at me like, fuck, you're an idiot. But it, anyway, it could be coming. I said could. I didn't say 100%. So we'll see. Um, hey, one thing that you guys are probably experts in, I can imagine, is operations and systems. How do you, what are your experiences with that? How in detail are they? I guess what are some lessons or things you could share with people that they could implement or use? Um, or even just describe how yours work, you know? Some like Daniel comes in, does, I want all this. What's the process? I guess the way I can break that down is that the life cycle of a piece of furniture getting and getting finished and being installed in your new boardroom, for instance, there's a lot that goes into that. There's a lot of moving parts um, in the commercial space. And I guess a lot of areas where things can go wrong and where things can, there can be blips in the road. So over the years, we've tried to make things frictionless, um, cut a lot of that stuff out um, and find ways we can improve our systems. Um, one of the key things was we were getting really frustrated with our old ERP system. That we, What's that? Uh, What's an ERP? So what does our quoting, invoicing, stock control, all of those sort of things, um, distribution, um, scheduling. And we were using a few different programs. And it wasn't that the program wasn't that good. It was more whenever we needed updates, it was very slow. We couldn't really do things live. We would think of good ideas and they'd say, oh, well, maybe we can get it into the next update in a year and a half or two years. So my brother called me one night. It was like 11 o'clock on a Sunday. And he goes, I got to share something with you. And I said, can I go to bed, bro? Can we talk tomorrow? And he's like, no, no, while it's live, I want to show you this. He goes, I've made something in Excel. And I go, what is it? And he started running me through on Excel. He's, he's an Excel pro, computer whiz. Uh, he goes, this is our new ERP system that I'm going to build. I said, that's great, but that's an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> uh, got it quoted out to build something custom of this nature. And then the, the figure made our draw drop. So him and a, a friend from school, they, um, what started as a, a, a few initial discussions, built it and we're about to do our third iteration of it. Um, it's very powerful um, and it's pretty much connected all the dots with our business and all the the areas that we were lacking in the areas we didn't have because it's purpose built for us. Um, everything on one screen. So that's one of the... Is it still on Excel or is it now no, custom? No, 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 it's custom. Yeah, but don't don't mock Excel. Excel is the most powerful no, tool in business. It, I, I would argue that to anyone. No, no, I'm, I'm not bashing Excel. Excel is incredible. We, we still use Excel. But <laughs> God bless Excel. <laughs> All hell the mighty Excel. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, um, <laughs> um, look, that, that's... That's been one of the key, key, key things. And, and always keeping any, any logistics or operational decision, um, we always say you have to keep the customer at the forefront of what you do. Like um, one of the things I think we, we realized we were lacking on in the past was, you know, we, everyone could sell a good game. We had a great catalog. We had a great showroom, all of that. But I, I see an equal part. And I, it's, yeah, you can call it operations and logistics, but it's the other type of selling. It's the 
walking the walk. It's actually getting the stuff to site when you say it's going to, it's getting it on time. It's getting it undamaged. It's keeping within timelines. Um, and the after service as well is, and that's your name. It's, it's not the deal ending there. It's looking after the customer. The operational side of things, really, that's what that is. My, my old man used to say it was something like sales makes a business, but then operations keeps the business 100%. going or something like He's that. spot on. Yeah. And, right. and, and that's the truth. You know, if you've got something fancy to sell, like carb, it's easy to sell. If you don't have the operations and the back end to make sure that people are growing their network and building new relationships with other great business people, it's, it's going to die. Yeah. You know, it's, everything's in the operations and focusing on that. We actually did our own. And, and I was going to say, we actually did our own, we've custom built our own, like whatever you call it, ERPs, like a CRM type style mm. operational thing for Cub recently. But what's cool about what you did is it's something that you and your brother have now brought into the business that's made a big difference. 100%. And you look at those little things and those little changes over the years that we've made and like you think, oh, and I say this with customers as well, even ones that maybe were a customer or we've tackled over the years, they may have known the cost of 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. We've got to show them the cost of today and what we're, what we stand for now and what we're going to become. Sometimes it's harder once people have gotten a perception of who you are and what you've done in the past, but it's all the more gratifying when you get somebody back and you're like, wow, you guys are a totally different beast. This is incredible. Improved. My favorite thing is, oh, I didn't know you guys could do that. That's cool. Mm. Yeah, I even said that to you a couple of times. And tell me, um, I mean, like we've said, your job is to push cross for another 50 years. What's your opinion on the commercial furniture market, where it is now, how it's been affected by COVID? And, and, and I, don't, I don't know if you can say what's, <laughs> what's happening. <laughs> you know, I'll just grab, just give, give, me, just give me, me your give glass. I'll do a special yeah. swirling <laughs> ceremony and I'll... Just look into that down and we'll, and we'll know what's going to well, happen. How has how has COVID affected the industry, um, and what do you think? What do you see happening in the future? I remember sitting when all of this was going on, and, and we were chatting, and a couple of people had just gotten back from overseas in in March, um, twenty twenty, and I was sitting with my brother, and it was the first Friday of of everything unearthing, and I'm and I'm like thinking every office is going to close, every school is going to close are we going to go from a hundred to zero in, in a matter of days? No one knew the wave. I mean, it wasn't a true recession. I mean, it, it was affecting things like a recession, but it wasn't a recession. It was, um, it wasn't as bad as we thought it would be like some, in, it just shows like that, that people have a will and, and we are a parallel industry to construction, which I kept, said, kept going, kept going. And I think feeds the economy, although some, some individuals and, doesn't yeah. matter. It does. Construction is the yeah. backbone of this, <laughs> do, of do, this country. Yeah, don't understand mm. that and, and have halted it and stuff, but it just serves a resilience and, and that things have kept going. There's been things going on the entire time. Um, what do I think for the future? Um, there was talk that uh, is this finally the end of the office? Is this where people don't go back to the office? Is this where the end of the workstation? And I, I can show you a funny video, Dan. It's like... Um, from the sixties, like a time lapsed one and all the contraptions people had on their desks and how it's amalgamated into, um, like a single tablet computer. But the one thing that remained is the chair and the desk. <laughs> so it's, it, That's so true. it is, it's, it's a pretty funny one. Um, you know, and, and, and what, what scared me as well was some companies, you know, the, the big boys, Amazon, Google, you know, the, the, the big guys out there were like, 
you don't have to come back to the office. Come back to the office whenever you want. I guess they've done a hamster wheel of how this work from home thing, is it actually the future of how we work? Or was it just something that people felt like they had to do and it was an adaptability, a life thing, um, work-life balance, that that buzzword that's, that's thrown around a lot. Um, and I think a, a lot of the statistics that came out that said, if you work all the time from home, it, it, it goes completely downhill. I couldn't agree more. I never was an advocate from, for work from home. I never believed it would continue. I still don't. I think there might be some industries that like, you know, you get your developer who just sits at home on his computer and he just, you know, plugs in anyway. doesn't make a difference where he does. He's probably not even talking to anyone. But like to a lot of industries, yeah, you want to go to the office. And if anything, I actually think it's going to benefit you guys because now the offices have to be even nicer, even cooler, better furniture, you know, to get people back in. Like it's it, – that's what that's what is going to happen. And no one wants to sit at home all day, especially uh, your kids and the mess and, I don't know, people annoying you. Like, no, man, I'm going to go to the office and have a break from <laughs> – like the office is a break from life. You know, you you got work and you got your life. You work work can be great it can be it can be a, a beautiful part of your day and having that environment to be in that mind frame is so important i actually think it's going to benefit for the furniture industry no, and, and I'll, I'll even agree like i think that that view is even the view that i had as well is that there's some jobs that you don't need to be around you don't need to be in the office you don't but i think it affects people's mental health as well just collaborating you know there's some parts of our team that you, we always had that assumption, you know, oh, you know, it's just the accounts person or it's just the admin person. They're just a task-based person that doesn't need to interact. It was that natural collaboration, the space, the breakaway that I've seen. And I haven't seen too many people who are now not begging to have normality back. And that's not to say not going, like I, I, I'm, my personal position is I like a little bit, you know, maybe in a fortnight have that one flexi day, then it's special again yes it's special and it's possible and you're set up for it that's that's how I, how I think it'll it, it will affect you but like I can tell you our team I told them guys look when um, they allow us to open I don't think we should open straight away let's just see what they actually do let's wait two weeks and just see how it goes and rather than you know having to get everyone back in back in the rhythm straight away oh, and then they change stuff. it or who knows what's going to happen. I was like, let's just wait. And the whole team was like, no, 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 please. Can we just go in? It doesn't matter. Like <laughs> we'll, we'll go in. Even if members can't come, we'll still go in. You know, they, they want to go, like people want to, to, to have community and be around others and they want to get out of the house and they want to, to go. The only people who, honestly, the only reason I could imagine anyone saying, I want to work from home is because they want to work less hours, in which case you're probably going to be paying them the same amount or they're getting paid more per hour now. So and I, no, I'm having a big rant on people wanting to work <laughs> I probably shouldn't be doing that, but it's just my opinion. I'm allowed to have it. Uh, look, and it was interesting because when the, when the government brought out the thing that you're not allowed to force people to come back into the office um, and some industries were in an uproar, I took a very different approach. I'm a very output-focused output person. I literally said to the guys, the office is there for you to use. We have huge amount of space for social distancing. We'll make sure we're all, we're all safe. And, and because we gave choice, uh, more than half the amount of people decided to come in on their own volition. So, yeah, I, I can imagine. It, it's, um, yeah, very interesting. Unless someone's at risk, you know, they've got their, something, you know, they, they, well, they're truly fearful of the virus or whatever it may be. Of course that person 
you know, it's it's it, it, it's not a one size fits all. The only it's whatever's best for that person. But the point I was making was that you lose so much of the community aspect, the bonds between people, the the excitement, the the, the change in environment, routine, the, the routine, the yeah, even the drive or the commute to work. People people you know once that may have been hated, but it gave you the podcast that you were listening to, or it gave you the time to read on the bus, or the you know like. Uh, it's a nice daily ritual. I, 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 I'm pro office. I'm so pro office that I sign more leases during COVID. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I used, like I, I said myself, you know, I, I had a few periods where I, you know, I was, I was coming back from interstate and I was, I got texts and said, you have to stay at home for a week and all of that. You know, I'm pretty self-motivating. I can make myself sometimes in small doses. It's actually pretty good because I might have a lot of tasks and no one's running into my office every two minutes asking for something. But I felt like, after a bit of time, when you wake up, you stroll to the desk, you get into tracksuit pants, after a while, the way you start your day is the way you finish your day. It's not getting up, routine, going to the gym, getting dressed up, getting into a suit, having that sort of thing. I felt like it set the platform to have a lazy day. And yeah, that's interesting. And I shared that with a lot of people and they're like, yeah, I, I, I like I, you stroll out of bed, you go make coffee, you know, it's like a very droning you haven't got those daily rituals that yardsticks by or- adding yeah by adding up become a productive day but you know on the on the flip side to that there's a lot of members i speak to who have dropped their offices or they've got it in a smaller office or they've moved from the city outside of the city to get a, a better priced office yep. and they're saying oh it's great because um you know when i'm in the cbd when i'm in the cities now uh, you know, if I need to meet someone or I'm between meetings, I can use Cub, I can use the clubhouse as a space. So it it's actually worked like, so it does, so I shouldn't rant on it too much because actually <laughs> drop your offices, guys. <laughs> um, and I'm a big advocate of that. I've seen a lot of companies who had a seat for all 250 staff. And now, as you said, they've made three funky spaces, one in Canberra, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney, and they can't bat, pe- they're batting people away with a stick. Mm. Yeah, they can't fit them. They can't have no, square meters. So they haven't, you know what I'm saying? And yeah. now they're like, okay, we're just going to have to keep opening these. So it's a different way. It's such a weird time, but it's good. I, I think anyone that's, that is passionate and, and tries to find opportunities is going to find them, whether that be drop your office or whether that be get a bigger, better office in a better spot for cheaper than you could have otherwise. You know, like they, they, no matter which way you choose to go as a business owner, that's the right way for you. And if you, you will be able to find benefits by, you know, by doing that. My thing I've encouraged people with is, in, you know, encourage as a business owner, staff to staff collaboration. And that isn't Zoom catch-ups. Like once it's all, obviously that's all we've been able to do and, that, and that's been really good and it's been helpful. And thank God for technology during this period, but never get rid of that human interaction. Cause I think we've all, we've all missed it during this period. I can tell you hugely. I, We've we've got the biggest the next three months of Cub are literally the most social events we've ever hosted. It's probably more social events than we've done in an, the entire of the past two years in three months because the members they're dying to like people are literally dying to come to just say hello to other humans, you mm. know, and and to just connect and have a good time and relax. Um, I did want to ask a few things. Oh, yeah. Um, and how long have you been a member for now? Uh, Speaking of Cub. Two and a half years. You've been loving it. Tell I, us about I, your experience. Well, my, my experience started, um, Calvin was was in his um, infancy with Cub. I was one of his first members. He started telling me about it when we ran into each other at the pub. I basically shoved my hand in his face and I said, 
Calvin, I don't want to hear about it. It's not how I network. I, I find these things cringe cringeworthy. And then I named another networking group um, that I'd been invited to a few morning breakfasts at like the crack of dawn. And I go, no, no, I, I, I pushed him back a few times. He goes, please just come in once, just feel it out. I'll let, you can even do an intro session. I really think it's for you. I think you're the right type of person. You, Yeah, straight away. I haven't looked back since. I went to a few social. I think my first event was a Friday lunch. I joined on a Wednesday. He's like, there's a, there's a lunch on Friday. I'm like, okay, this is awesome. There was nothing organized about it. It just put 15 really good people all in the same, all suffering or, or experiencing the same things in their business for a casual Friday. Was that during, was it at the COVID times you mean? No, pre-COVID. Okay. Pre-COVID. What so were they was, suffering? No, no. Like having the same issues with business, oh, yeah. the same sort of things that, yeah. yeah. Suffering business other. owners you mean. Yeah. Business owners, we're, we're all suffering. Yeah. Um, <laughs> in our daily, but um, one thing I've loved about it, especially, you know, young in a family business is people of all ages, some people younger than me, a lot of people older than me. It's all the same themes and you can just in a, in a non-invasive non-forced way you can meet some really cool people and connect organically and the- i think organic's a really cool word i always tell people that it comes very calvin's organic. favorite word is serendipitous yeah you know, I, I, I still don't know what it means <laughs> but um okabi is very organic that's what i you know it's that just it's the natural relationship you're not supposed to like everyone you're supposed to respect everyone and try to help everyone mm. but you'll naturally f- become friends and, and build relationships with the people that uh, it or, that organically happens with. It would happen outside of Cubby if you had the opportunity to meet. So, um, and uh, just before we wrap up, uh, to our listeners, please go to cub.club forward slash podcast to find out more information on Gareth, on Crossed. Go to the website. Trust me, just do it. I think it's one of the best websites. I really love it. Um, obviously, I've used uh, – Cub has – bought a ton of furniture from Cross. They, they're doing all our clubhouses, especially the new fancy one in the city in Sydney uh, and perhaps the surprise one that no one knows about yet that might not even actually be happening. Um, <laughs> um, but I couldn't speak higher about uh, my friend Gareth um, and, and Cross as a company. So go check it out there. Um, if you want to catch up with Cub online, go to the Club of United Business on Instagram. Gareth, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And to the listeners, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you very much.